Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey there, welcome to episode 375 of the Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today we're diving into the world of sexual rejection and how it affects our relationships. Joining us is Marissa Nelson, a licensed marriage and family therapist, sex therapist, and all-around relationship expert. Marissa has helped countless couples reconnect and even runs luxury couples retreat worldwide. In this chat with Marissa, we'll cover how couples handle sexual rejection, share a real-life story, and discuss ways to boost confidence post-rejection. Plus, we'll touch on societal views of sexuality and moving forward after rejection. Exciting stuff ahead, so stick around. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Marissa Nelson to our show. Marissa, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I watched your TED Talk on sexual rejection. I was like, oh my God, this is half of my practice. And I'm sure you you definitely experienced the same thing. So today we're going to talk about sexual rejection. And in the TED Talk, you talk about this story of Anna and Chris, which I think it kind of like painted this very clear picture of what sexual rejection looks like. Can you tell our listeners who hasn't watched, they haven't watched the TED Talk about that story? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about Anna and Chris, Anna and Chris is this couple that I use in the, in the that are really based off of also a real couple. And 
you know, it talks about Anna, who's a very high powered attorney who's working really late. She has a lot on her plate. They have three kids. Her husband, Chris, loves his work, but he travels often. So they're kind of like two ships passing in the night. And the reason why this matters is because, you know, the narrative throughout the story is that life always gets in the way, whether it's kids or obligations with work. And that when they try to come together for intimacy, both of them have their reasons for their position, right? Chris wants to be more intimate. This is the way he wants to feel validated. He wants attention. He wants affection. So he asks for sex. But what he really wants is some of these other things that he feels like he's not being able to get. He wants connection. And he wants connection from a partner that, you know, on her side, feels like, you know, she's working a lot. She has a lot of weight on her shoulders. She hasn't quite lost the baby weight as yet either. And so she's not feeling as secure or confident in her body. And for these reasons, even in her insecurity, she wants more of an emotional connection with her partner before she can just jump into a physical one. And so that's why, you know, all of this is kind of, around date night, where I believe there are a lot of expectations. Valentine's Day is coming up too. That is another date where there's a lot of expectations. Valentine's Day, birthdays, date nights, vacations, around having sex and being intimate and the disappointment or the avoidance or the anxiety or the, the guilt that goes into all of this when things don't happen the way that they do. So the really the moral of the talk is re- is around this concept of sexual resilience and how Anna and Chris had to do the work because so often we want to throw the onus of responsibility on the low desire partner. So if Anna was the one who didn't want to be intimate, common wisdom really wants us to say, okay, Anna, self-care, get your nails done, take time out for yourself, bring your desire up so that you can meet your partner where they're at. And I think that what I am trying to say and have been saying, you know, through the narrative of this conversation is that it's a couple's issue. It's not one person's responsibility to fix the issue, but both people have their reasons or their dynamics as to why intimacy has become something that is just so hard for them to do, so hard for them to ask for, and so hard for them to be as connected as both of them would like to be underneath the surface. Because I'd like to think that underneath the surface, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. People want to be able to feel connected and to give pleasure to their partner, even if they're not in that emotional or physical space to do so. So the concept of sexual resilience and really leaning into exploration and play and discomfort and, you know, sex as a means for pleasure and sex as a means for expansion versus orgasms and intercourse and all of the things that I think we can be socialized to believe that sex is about. When I was listening to this story and you were talking about it in TED Talk, I was thinking about how people have this misconception around like if we have a healthy sex life, it's going to come naturally, right? So I was like reflecting my own experience with my husband. When we met, we were both at graduate school, like we were so much younger and we were staying up 
nights after nights, right? You have time for uh, emotional connection, sexual connection, right? The different priority versus right now that I'm going to bed 10 p.m. because I have to wake up at 5 a.m. And it's the same for both of us. So it's important to kind of make readjustment because I think you you brought up such a great point that when a partner makes an invitation for kind of like, let's let's have sex tonight and the partner for any reason, maybe they love their partner, but they're not, they don't have the capacity in that moment. They don't feel good about their, themselves and they decline the invitation. That rejection can profoundly impact the relationship if couples are not working through it. So tell us like, what are some of the common ways that couple might experience sexual rejection? So I think that what you said was absolutely spot on is that many times we're making bids. You know, if you're, if you believe in Gottman and his approach of we're always making bids for attention and for connection. So people are making bids even sexually to be connected. Sometimes people have learned that sex and intimacy and even touching for sex is their way to ask for an emotional need. Yes, it can be for some people a way to, you know, release stress as a stress reliever. It's a, you know, the physicality of being intimate with the one that you love. But many times, especially in my research and having been with thousands of couples, a lot of times we're looking, we're using sex as, a, as an avenue to feel a sense of validation worthiness, attractiveness, to know that my partner still wants me. And so when the rejection happens, regardless of gender, the way that you take it in is my partner doesn't want me. It doesn't mean that they, even though it may not be the moment, the environment, the time, the place, I am not turned on. I'm still down regulating for my day. All of these different factors that go into being in that erotic mindset to be receptive and be in receptive desire for intimacy and to see where that takes us. Many times we would get offended if our partner, you know, feel that sense of rejection if our partner no longer wants to or decides to decline to move forward. So the reason why I believe that this is an invitation is that oftentimes then we stop. Because when you feel rejection, most people say that partner doesn't want me and then they create a narrative about it. My partner never wants to have sex. My partner doesn't, is not into me anymore. Maybe I gain weight. Maybe if I lose weight, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. So then we create these scenarios and stories around why our partners don't want us, desire us, or are sexually attracted to us. And that's more us. That's us. That's our stuff. But how might we be able to use these moments to ask for something more? So even if you don't want intimacy in that moment, how can we pause and say, I may not want sex, but I definitely want you. I may not want intercourse right now. That's not my appetite, but I want you. What can we do together? Let's, let's troubleshoot. May not be into intercourse, but I, I can do oral sex. I may not be into intercourse, but... I might mass like happy for you to go masturbate, happy to support you in doing that, happy for, you know, us to cuddle. Maybe we can take a bath naked. Maybe I may not be there right in the second, but with more time and more care and more attention, I can get there. Now we start to have a conversation of how deep and wide that that gap is. 
if I'm maybe, you know, scaling desire is something that I talk a lot about with my clients that, you know, I may step that you may ask me for intimacy and I might not be there yet, but does it mean that I'm completely shut off, turned off, or I can never get there? But we have to create the scenario. We have to create an erotic vibe, so to speak, so that I can get there. So if it's like, let's spend some time together, because one of the things that clients always talk about is maybe I want more of an emotional connection before we just, you know, you come and you touch me. But most of the time when you're touching me, I want to touch for affection, but you're touching me in pursuit of intercourse or sex. Maybe I just want to be touched and held because that feels safe and good for me. Right. And maybe if we do that a little bit, maybe we can get there. Or maybe I'm just, that's just not where I'm at today. Maybe I'm in a place where I really just need comfort or touch for soothing, touch for affection. How might we be able to share intimacy without intercourse? So these are the conversations that I want couples or anybody who's in a relationship or anybody who's looking to be partnered to have so that it takes the pressure off of you feeling personally slighted if you are not in the mood or if your partner is not in the mood for intimacy, and now you get to problem solving and solution building versus I feel rejected, my partner doesn't want me, I shut down and now I'm less likely to pursue intimacy or to ask for intimacy moving forward, or I'm going to ask for it and I'm going to be bracing myself. What comes up for me, which I see a lot with the couples I see in my practice, is people get to this place of standstill, right? Saying that unless you spend quality time with me and really quality time, like for months, I'm not willing to engage <laughs> sexually. And the other partners and why, why I have to bribe you to be intimate with you. And they're just like, feel very disconnected, right? So I think if we're thinking about it, as you mentioned, as a collaboration of problem solving that can help people to come with this shared vision. And as you were talking about, when we think that, okay, our my partner doesn't want me, we can get stuck in shame spiral and think about like thinking about all the times that we have been rejected since age five. And that's, that just close our window of curiosity, engagement. And I, I can imagine like most people have experienced that. I myself have experienced that. So how do we know in those moments that we feel, is it me or it's not the right moment? What kind of tools, strategies you have for people in those moments to assess it and recover their self-esteem and kind of like practice more of a way to get out of that spiral? So I think number one, it's not about your partner. It's about you. I think many times we may believe that sexuality can be in service to our partner, service into our partner's desire, responsive to what their needs are. And so because of that, when we feel offended because they didn't accept our sexual bid for connection, or we are the ones that are doing the rejecting, then we start to go into, you know, that spiral of it's, it's that, you know, it's that fight or flight that tends to happen. I think in the moment I would say, stop, take a breath. I, I, and I want people to understand that you get to decide the kind of intimate life that you'd like to have. You get to determine what you do from this decision forward. 
I can decide to say no and cut things off completely and go into a fight or flight response of, I don't want to talk about it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to back away from it, which will then make my partner feel even worse. You know, I, I can go into guilt and shame. And when I do that, then I'm spiraling. I'm not in my body, which is where I need to be for to access resources and to be able to find a pathway forward. So I say this to say that, can you recognize that you are not broken? Nothing is wrong with you. If you don't feel like being intimate right now, you're not, ne- you're not responsible for having sex every time your partner wants to have sex. What we are responsible for when we're in a relationship for with, with when we are in a relationship is maintaining connection. And how might we always be able to maintain connection even when that doesn't include sex? We can still be intimate. So that looks like asking your partner, hey, may not want sex right now. What are some other things that we can do that can make us feel connected? If sex has been off the table, intercourse and or however you look at sex has been off the table for a while, to your point about a lot of clients who are like, well, we have to have a lot of intimacy. We have to have a lot of kissing and closeness and all of that stuff before we can move to sex. Then we need to start asking deeper questions. What gets in the way of you being able to be intimate? Like what comes up for you? How can I be supportive of you? You know, let's talk about the way that we initiate sex. Is there something that I'm saying that makes you feel uncomfortable? Is there another way that you would like to ask for sex or you would like for me to approach sex with you? Would you like to, you know, what are your values and your belief systems about asking for sex for yourself? Is that something that you believe that, you know, you deserve? So there's all of these different ways and conversations that you can be having as a couple to then start. That's not blaming or shaming because many times when we are troubleshooting things, it could come out through the lens of, well, you never do this and you know, you never want to have sex. And I always have to initiate. And this starts to erode the connection. And we want to do things at all times to maintain connection. And you know, what's interesting to me is for our listeners that are not in the field that like Gottman's are the researchers, couples therapists, that they looked at relationship and what leads you to have successful relationships. And when I'm looking at different way of messaging, they say like, if you say this, this is not going to land well. But if you say it this way, this is going to be more connecting. And the messaging, like the root of the message could be the same. The delivery and intention, it makes a huge, huge difference. And I think that's a skill. I think that not only is it a skill, though, but let's balance it with nobody wants to hear that they're not pleasing their partner. So I think that, again, to your point, empathy, compassion, holding space, you have to have those things in order to have these Tender conversations. People can say it's finances. I definitely think in the realm of intimacy and sexuality, there can be a lot of tender space here and very triggering for people. So you do have to be able to hold safe and emotional space for one another. However, can you also sit and tolerate sometimes your partner speaking their truth? And if their truth is, I want to be intimate with you, I don't know how to reach you. It's been months that I've been trying 
and I've been I've been trying it your way, but I don't know how to get close to you. Can we talk about that? Now, you know, you have clients that even if the approach is nice, you know, not nice, but, you know, compassionate, open and engaging and whatnot, you might still run into some scenarios where you're going to have somebody who may still feel disappointed, still feel hurt because they don't want their partner to see them. You know, it's hard to hear that their partner is not pleased with your sex life or it's hard to hear some uncomfortable truths. So I talk about those uncomfortable truths that sometimes couples do have to confront in order to be able to move forward to you know, ground that is that allows them to be expansive in their sexual life. Because we have to, I think the number one thing I would love anybody listening to know is that too often we're operating off of assumptions, especially when it comes to sex and intimacy. We want our partners to guess, to know we've been together long enough. You should know these things. And we want to be clear with our communication, open with our delivery, and holding space for one another so that instead of making interpretations about what our partners like and don't like, interpretations about what they're feeling and not feeling, we can have the clarity and the communication that's necessary so that if something doesn't feel right to either partner, you can collaboratively troubleshoot that together. One of the things that you were mentioning that was very interesting is that kind of being able to hear difficult feedback. And when it comes to sex, one of the things that I notice that sometimes we have an ego about how, how skilled we are sexually. Like sometimes I, I talk to couples about, okay, where did you learn about sex education, sexual skill? In reality, most people haven't received sex coaching, sex education. So they're doing their best to kind of like mimic what they see in the porn or the feedback they got from the previous lovers. But this is not something that's working for your partner, right? Like if I had an issue with baseball, I would like if I was wanting to play baseball, I would hire a coach. I would imagine that for any other skill is like that. But somehow we have this expectation of I naturally I must be great with sex. And that's that's what caused some friction about giving and receiving feedback. I think so. I think that you're absolutely right. And I think the reason why is because sex is so vulnerable. It brings forth so many different facets of our who we are and also parts of us that are hidden. You know, so, you know, our our fetishes, our fantasies, our body image issues, our self-esteem, you know, our values around intimacy and closeness and touch. And so all of these things, we hold very personal to us. They are, they have become our identity. And so thinking about shifting it or changing it, or there were parts of our lives where this worked. And as we age, we hold on maybe to the parts of ourselves where all of that came into alignment. And now as we're moving through our journey and our bodies and our intimacy might be shifting, somebody reflecting that back to us and being that mirror back to us to say, this isn't working. Boy, that feels like a blow to our ego. 
and our sense of self and our identity. And so that's why, you know, in the work that you're doing, <laughs> the work that I'm doing is really helping people to feel comfortable with updating their belief systems, updating and shifting and evolving their values, because sometimes we're so unconscious about it. You know, I've just been doing, you know, what are your masturbation habits? I've been doing that since I was a kid. I've been doing that since I was a teenager. So to suggest that something that they've been doing for as long as they've known themselves sexually cannot be in alignment with what their partner's needs are, they have to have that conversation and realize, okay, it's safe for me. It's okay for me to shift and update some of these belief systems. Some of them were misunderstandings. Some of them we picked up along the way and became our, our perceptions became our reality. If we're really, you know, parsing through what's real, what can be shifted, and then helping couples really have that conversation so that they can be on the same page and build a relationship and an intimate life that both of them can desire and feel good about. Societal kind of like attitude plays a huge attitude, play a huge role on this. Because sometimes I have clients that they come to my practice and they say, like, oh, I want like cisgender heterosexual couple, male partner coming in and say, Oh, I want my partner to experience an orgasm. She never experienced an orgasm. And when we're doing the work as in couples therapy, realize that like that's like kind of like the partner thinks they're not doing anything wrong or it's a reflection of them and that's what triggers them versus the part other partner might kind of say that you know I never experienced orgasm in a partner relationship and that's not something that I'm necessarily interested to learn I think everyone deserves to experience mind-blowing orgasms but I don't think that <laughs> we have to see that as a validation of our own identity as a lover and that's exactly what I was trying to say, that we utilize sex as a way to validate us, even though this is about our partner's pleasure or our collective intimate life together, we're still unconsciously sometimes operating that whatever happens sexually that works boosts and lifts my self-esteem and my ego, whatever doesn't go right whatever feels different or difficult or it, it, it is a it is something that negatively you know impacts my sense of self and my self-esteem and my worthiness and it shouldn't be that way I agree with you I think like sometimes again it just happens so automatically right that I get clients or even friends are telling me that my partner are shocked that their male partner is interested in them in heterosexual couples, but they don't get an erection. People think that erection happens on demand whenever you're naked. Versus yeah. thinking about like different stages of life, different level of stress. There's so many things that can happen that might lead to someone not experiencing an erection. Although if they're interested in you, there has nothing to do with you and your kind of level of attractiveness. And I'm glad we're talking about it. So for couples that they're stuck, for some reason, they're just like, feel like they're, they're kind of hurt, like from this pattern of initiation and rejection. How can they move forward? What are some of the tools and strategies you recommend them to implement, to find themselves back to that place of positivity? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think one, we talk about one of the things that I do with my clients is map out their sexual cycle. And so what that means is how do we get ready for intimacy personally, right? How do I typically get ready for intimacy? If I look back at previous relationships, when I think in my mind's eye, what feels erotic to me in a way that allows me to come to sexuality in a way that I'm open, that it feels good to me, what are those things? And then thinking about your partner, like what are the things that we do to get ready for intimacy? Do I feel more comfortable taking a bath before? Do I feel comfortable setting a scene before? And then how do I expect my partner to initiate sex? And so really understanding what happens beforehand can also help you troubleshoot as a couple what's not working. If you say, you know, the way in which you initiate intimacy is that at night when I, you know, am ready to go to bed and I plug in my phone charger and I turn over and then you say, want to have sex? Or you rub my butt. No, that does not make me feel intimate or in the mood. From there, you can then come up with solutions to say, well, this is what would work for me. Or if a partner is saying, when I'm really feeling an intensity of desire, the way that I usually or the way that I have learned to show sexual interest is by kissing my partner. Because you'll realize that when you start to map a couple's sexual cycle and you just examine the way in which they initiate sex, this is the place that is rife with misunderstandings. I had a couple that I was working with last week that was like, but when I initiate sex, I like hug you more. Didn't you notice when I initiate sex, like I hold on a little longer. And the partner is like, I literally had no idea that that's what you meant. Because their version of initiating intimacy was either saying, do you want to have sex or, you know, rubbing her hair, or rubbing her back. And these are some of the nonverbal cues that people are throwing out that don't work sometimes. They may work, but they may not work. And so really being able to understand that. And then we move on to intimacy and kind of as we're getting ready to warm up the body as we are, you know, what kind of play do you like in intimacy? Are you paying attention to outer course? Are you taking the time to really explore one another before, you know, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, jumping straight into intercourse? Some couples would say, I actually need more time here. Or a partner saying, I get so excited that I just, you know, I, I really just jump to, to sex because that's just what I've done in my past. This gives also a great conversation for couples to be able to say, okay, this is what we actually can incorporate. And I notice that when we do this, I'm more aroused. I, you know, more lubricated for some who experience pain during sex. I feel less pain because I'm properly lubricated. And for, you know, a partner, it's like, okay, now I know that you, you really want sex because for, from the other partner, the last thing that they want is a partner who feels like they're not completely engaged or into sex. And so I, and then what happens during sex and then after sex? What kind, what, what kind of aftercare do you desire? How are you tending to that now? What's working for you and what's not working for you? And so really being able to map out your entire process together gives you some tools and some conversation starters to say, this works for us. But oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's what you meant. 
So you can clear up some of those misunderstandings. And then both of you can collaboratively say, this is what I desire. This is what I want. This is what I can use less of. This is what we can try more of together. Absolutely. And you can co-create this experience. I have clients that say, my partner wants romance, but I'm, I'm into more of a raw sexual experiences. And I always talk about, first of all, it doesn't need to be either or. You can kind of have a script that incorporate all of that, or you can kind of practice flexibility that I have clients that they take turn in a way that kind of like in one sexual encounter, they do something that's more neutral for them because they want to kind of remain their connection. And the next time they do something that they're kind of excited for them and more neutral for the partner. But as we were talking about, communication is such a big part of it and kind of asking for help from a therapist, right? And I feel like sometimes you've been in these cycles for so many years that is just tough to even have a conversation about sex, even watch a sexy, steamy kind of like clip on the TV. So if people want to kind of like approach the conversation of going to a therapist or sex therapist, how do you invite them to bring it up to their partner? Well, I think that there's lots of ways that you can have this conversation. I think to something that you said earlier, you know, Midori, who really specializes in kink, she talks about sexuality being an appetite. And so, you know, as we're thinking about how we approach intimacy, how we approach desire, how do we blend our styles together? And, you know, as you said, there's sometimes where, you know, you'll have sexual encounters that are completely neutral. And then you'll have experiences that kind of go back and forth between styles. You get to have that appetite and incorporate that into your sexual life. I think that when it's time to start having a conversation about bringing in a therapist, it, it is when sexuality becomes less and less and less and less in your relationship, where you're feeling like there are some couples that have great emotional connection, but they lack physical intimacy. And so they say, they say, look, we've been together for a long time. I love this person. This is my person. But I really want to be in an intimate, connected, sexual relationship. That's when you can start talking to your partner about, I want to be connected to you. And I want to, you know, I want to see if we can talk to a therapist and get some support so that we can build a bridge between us you know, towards one another so that I can better understand you. You can better understand what my needs are and we can have the support that we both need to be able to explore this territory that maybe when I was growing up, nobody in my life talked to me about sex. And so it's still a bit uncomfortable for me. And I don't know, I may not know how to satisfy you or maybe I might need tools to to know what to do so that I can you know, I can have the intimate life that you deserve. Maybe I'm recovering from trauma or you're recovering from trauma, right? Could be, I have a lot of clients that have childhood trauma, childhood sexual trauma or trauma from previous relationships. So it affects their ability to be completely present and not dissociate during intimacy and to have erotic focus. When you start to realize that you you are you are not able to be in your body when it comes to intimacy, that would be a time for you to have a conversation with your partner to share that with them and say that you may need more support. You know, what would it look like for us to do a session of 
couples therapy or sex therapy so that we can really work through this together. And I think that the number one thing that I think is very helpful to mention is, and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with us. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or for with me for wanting to seek this support. Such an important message because sometimes I have people come to my office and one partner is very resentful. And when we explored the reason, they said like my previous marriage or my previous partnership, it was on the verge of kind of broke, breaking apart when we started going to couples therapy or sex therapy. And this is a beginning of the end. And I agree with you that it's just for so many reasons, it's like fine tuning, like making your relationship from good to great. And like anything else, like if you want to improve, write, improve writing, you get to go to a retreat. Maybe if you want to improve your cooking, you take a class, sex therapy, sex coaching. It's the same thing. So Marissa, I bet that many people are curious to learn about you, your practice, all the wonderful things that you have out there. What are some of the places can people go to learn more about you? No, absolutely. I I think a little bit more about me, you know, as a licensed couples and sex therapist, I work with couples across the life cycle. So I have a lot of clients who are premarital and, you know, they're really at the beginning of their, you know, journey. I work with a lot of clients who are new parents and are trying to negotiate intimacy after you know, having children and being exhausted and having, uh, you know, huge lives and big careers. I work in hold space for a lot of patients as a reproductive mental health therapist as well for clients who are navigating IVF, family building, infertility, and all the ways that that journey can impact sexual functioning and self-esteem. I have the honor and privilege of working with a lot of clients who've been together for 25 years, 30, 35 years, 40 years plus who are still, you know, could be empty nesters and rediscovering passion, could have had a cancer diagnosis and are finding their way back to their bodies. And so as we think about intimacy and sexuality through the life cycle, really helping them to foster a sense of sexual resilience, to know that they are worthy and deserving, and you are worthy if you're listening to this and deserving of pleasure, of connection, of having soul-quaking intimacy. And if you want to work with me, you can find me. Please follow me on IG at XO, Marissa Nelson. You can come on a retreat with me, Intimacy Moons Couples Retreats, who are one of the world's best number one couples retreats from Livestrong and Women's Health and New York Times. So please, if you, you know, join us for a retreat, www.intimacymoons.com. And we'll also be, I will also be launching a course on sexual resilience for couples that's going to be coming up in the next month. Once you go to intimacymoons.com, sign up for my mailing list and you'll be the first to know when that drops and you will get a discount on that course so that you can have the resilience and the intimacy and the connection that you desire. Well, thank you so much, Marissa, for coming on our show and being so generous. And I'm looking forward to learn more about your upcoming course. And I'm sure it will help many people. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And you too. And thank you so much for the space and for the community and everything that you bring. You are a light 
And, you know, you're doing so much, especially in our field where there's so much stigma and for some, there's so much shame around sexuality. You know, your work is really shining a light and letting people know that they deserve. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. Thanks for all those kind words. Bye. Dealing with sexual rejection can be tough, right? As we talked about that during the conversation with Marissa, it can impact your confidence, it can impact your relationship, and it can stir up feeling of hurt and frustration and making you question yourself. But I think therapy can be a great tool for you to explore these emotions and pick up a healthy coping strategies. It's about addressing what's underneath and boosting those communication skills. As you guys know that my practice is focusing on couple sex relationship issues. And I recently graduated two couples. So I have very limited opening in my calendar. So if you are struggling with this issue, this is your opportunity to seek out counseling. If you are in California, you can just go ahead and look at my calendar and book your intake appointment there. You can find all the information about couples counseling in my website. And also all of my openings are listed in the link in the show notes. Uh, remember, it's never too late to put your mental health first. If you're in other states, you can go through the ASAC website which is aasect.org and find a couple sex therapist that can help you discuss these issues and hopefully reconnect with your partner. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.